Hi guys, welcome to the Lost Set Podcast, and today I'm joined by Brandon Seckham. How you doing, man? Yeah, I'm great. How are you? I'm doing awesome, man. Crypto's down. <laughs> Johnny Depp won the court case against Amber Heard. He's chucking up mega pints mega right pints. now. It's a fucking good time to be alive. <laughs> uh, I gotta get it off my chest. Like, did you actually watch the trial or pay attention to it? A little bit, a little bit. I, I think I was uh, uh, an Instagram bystander. Yeah. So as I was kind of flicking through and I saw bits, I was like, oh, okay, interesting. That's, I guess that's how I tend to find out my news now. Yeah, I actually feel like you're the same. A lot of people are the same. And mm. nowadays, social media is being used more for news sites. But it's always people just read the headline and then they read the little text at the top. And they never actually read the full thing. Yeah, I mean, if it's interesting enough, I'll dive in. Yeah. But that wasn't interesting enough for me. Oh, yeah. I, my, my sister and my, uh, my sister-in-law and my wife, and they're kind of keeping up to date. So I just asked them what's happened. I yeah. found out that he won through my wife, so... Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a happy, it was a happy morning. I mean, it's. I, I don't want to spend too much time with this because I don't want to talk about you. But the memes, man. Whenever something like this happens, I just wait for those memes. <laughs> that mega pint. People are like making mega pint <laughs> wine glasses. It's brilliant. I love that. I love that. Anyway, man. So let's get into it. So let's give it. give the audience a little bit of an introduction, man. What do you what do you about what you do? <laughs> what do I do, man? Uh, okay, so I am. I mean, we were talking about this briefly just before, but. Uh, I guess for all intents and purposes, uh, I have a company called Temper. About five years ago, I started that company, um, and it started as a means to an end to help. Uh, what we saw was uh, when people kind of pass that 18-year-old mark, they get super lost, get stuck, True. trying to figure out what they want to do. Mm. We wanted to uh, answer, uh, create an answer to that in terms of coaching, and so I went into the whole life coaching piece, it very quickly turned into more performance coaching and I can get into the differences, but ultimately it's uh, a life coach is more um, whole life, holistic kind of coaching. And then um, performance coaching is about the output, the the result of the thing that you're doing. Um, I mean, we, we both know it from the world of martial arts. Ultimately, our coaches are performance coaches because they're helping us to increase increase and improve our performance within that art i'd say you would be very similar in terms of your pt stuff right Correct. yeah um life coaching is a little bit different and then what i mean fast forward five years now temper has kind of changed even more so we're career coaching specifically working on the reason we did that in terms of going into career coaching was because i love watching patterns and i i kind of gave myself permission as Temple was growing to change according to the pattern. Okay. Too many people start a business and get stuck in, no, this is what it is forever. And for us, I knew going in, it would change as I started to learn more about the people I was helping. Okay. Basic market research. So just keep going, man. I'm just going to tell you. Yeah, cool. Keep going. Yeah, cool. Just, keep going. Yeah. yeah, you can hear me? Okay. <laughs> He's running away, everyone. Um, so yeah, I, look, um, I was happy to kind of change um, as we continued on. Um, we went into career coaching because uh, humans spend more time at work than they do anything else. Yes, correct. Yeah. <laughs> and the word career um, actually comes from the same word in Latin as carriage and car. In other words, it's a vehicle. I never thought of that. I yeah. That, so that's where the word came from. Okay. Yeah. So uh, for us... We wanted to work where people are the most. 
and as we've seen with the whole COVID thing, and I don't know if it, you might be in a different field to maybe myself and a lot of other people, um, I'm sure you're still keeping your finger on the pulse in terms of what's happening in employment and stuff. But, oh, yeah. you know, uh, what COVID did was kind of completely change the world of work. Yeah. Um, and so it showed I, that some uh, some meetings can just be emails. Yeah, That's I mean, it showed moment. that some some jobs can just be at home. Yeah, it's crazy, right? Like, yeah. it it took a pandemic for companies to think, how can we do this differently? Yeah, but here's the thing: I could never be one of those people that works from home. Mm. I I just can't. I could never do that. I could never in my in and this is one thing I'm heavily critical of in in the PT world. There's online coaches who yep. do everything through the phone and laptop. Yep. As good as it is, and I'm sure they make a lot of money, and I'm sure they're really good. I I would hate to do that <laughs> sometimes. Mm. And I love, and that's what the joy is about my job. Yeah, about working people. But yeah, go ahead, continue. And I I totally agree. I'm right there with you. Um, yeah. And so we continue doing the career coaching piece. Um, and that actually came. Uh, uh. Look, we could spend the whole time kind of talking about the journey and whatever else, but um, up until about two years ago, it was life coaching, performance coaching. Uh, 2020, um, I went full-time. October 1st, 2020, went full-time with Temper. Okay, so what were you doing before then? Yeah, good question. Uh, a lot of things. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if we're talking all the way back to kind of what my first little bit was, I'm a butcher by trade. Wow, wow okay. Yeah. All right. I had my own. Uh, I had my own shop when I was twenty-two. Holy shit, that was young. Yeah. Um. Uh. I left that because I stabbed myself in the leg. What? Not, not on purpose. <laughs> Anytime okay. I tell that, people are like, "What? Okay. Why did you do that? How's this? What's the yeah. story behind this thing?" <laughs> uh. Okay. So I had bought into this shop. Uh. A. I had my first lesson in partnering wrong. Okay. Um. Went in, thought, "Hey, I'm a butcher. The next step for me is." Uh, to have my own shop, right? And so there was a shop in Junalup. Okay. And uh, I bought into that with time and a little bit of money. Um, and it was basically, I get what, 50% equity of the company and I'm going to help him build the company. And that was super cool. Uh, but I partnered with the wrong person. Um, he's passed away now, um, but he, he had you know, some drug issues and stuff like that. And I didn't know that going in. Uh, he had disappeared for, I think it was now six weeks and I had been running the shop by myself and um, there was another business partner involved and he was great through the whole thing. He was awesome. Um, but uh, look, ultimately, um, I was super stressed out. It was in early one morning. I had another guy at the front with me. Uh, it was Valentine's Day as well. And Valentine's Day in, in butcher world is super busy. Um, oddly enough, people want to cook for each other. Okay. Yeah. Good point. Um, so, <laughs> so, so I'm, I'm at the back, uh, I've got this leg of lamb up on the rack, uh, on, on the rail and I've, I've, I turn around, I come down too hard, uh, and go straight into my femoral artery. Oh, mm. wow. How deep was it though? Yeah. So it, it, it bounced off the bone, came straight back out. <gasps> so if it had stayed in, it would have been okay. Right. <sighs> But because it yeah, bounced out, yeah. um, I had a buddy of mine who's a paramedic. He tells me if you ever get stabbed, keep it in. Keep it in. Mm -hmm. and they have to keep it in. Like they say, he told me the instructions. Like it's if you ever gets like even if you ever get something that goes through the eye, mm. you have to cover the actual wound itself, 
wrap it around. Yeah. So that way, because if you take it out, it's going to do more damage because it does more damage on the way out than in. And that's exactly what happened. So going in, it was clean, but then bouncing out, it kind of goes like that. It kind of angles outwards. And so it cut it. So, um, and I don't know, I, I can probably take a guess at most of your listeners and white sort of stuff. So I won't go too far into... Um, I guess the r- religious component, but I'm I'm a I'm a Christian, right? Okay. And so uh, I didn't grow up that way, but I kind of was attending church and stuff. And it wasn't until this moment that I became a, a proper Christian because I uh, bounced out, mm-hmm. I hit the ground, took my belt off, my jacket off, and created a tourniquet, and then called the, called the ambulance. Right? It just I'm pretty good in a crisis, so I knew what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I called this other guy to come over and help keep pressure on it while I was talking to the ambulance and you know June Lap Hospital was right around the corner so he, they could come over and I was like cool it's going to be fine and we're sitting just over uh, the grease trap so um, where most of the blood would kind of pool and go down into the 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 drain and it wasn't drips it was like a, it sounded like a shower oh wow and so that was my blood right and so sitting in this pool of my own blood and I'm thinking this is this is pretty full on. Like I've never seen this much blood. I'm um, pretty sure I've cut something, and so uh, we seem to have been able to keep everything tight enough. It started slowing down, and then the guy—I'll just call him Bob. Um, <laughs> Bob, I told I told Bob, I'm like, hey Bob, I'm I'm a Christian man. I've got to pray about this because I think I'm probably going to die. Like, wow, okay. Uh, it, this is there's so much blood. I haven't seen it like this before. And I've heard stories about this kind of thing and people dying from blood loss and, blood loss and artery cuts and stuff. And he even said, yeah, I think you're going to die, man. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> thanks, Bob. You said, hey, you're going to die. Yeah. Wow. Oh, wow. A little bit of sympathy first. It's kind of his fault because uh, I told him to keep pressure on it. And he'd put pressure on and then pull his hands away to check and then do it again. Oh. So he's basically like pumping blood yeah. <laughs> out of me. Anyway. I pray, um, and it's not like a, uh, in my opinion, it wasn't like a desperation prayer. It was more in that moment, I was like, mm, uh, this can't be it. Okay. Right? Like, 23, 22, 23, this can't be it. And so I prayed, um, and it was more of a, God, I'm too important. There's mm. something for me to do here. Mm. Uh, like, you need to stop the bleeding. Wow. Mm. So the ambulance came, and they didn't, look at the cut or anything because they saw the amount of blood and the color of the blood and the, okay cool something serious has happened so they qu- put a proper tourniquet on and put like one of these uh uh in the military they have them they kind of put them on the leg uh and it just i don't even know it like sucks onto the is this big bandage oh i, I think i know what you know yeah. yeah went to the hospital got there um pardon me i drank the red bull too quick <laughs> cool. um uh, and then, yeah, got to the hospital where they kind of sorted it all out. Fast forward a little bit. I had cut the artery. Um, when they finally got in to have a look, there was scar tissue on the artery, wow. which doesn't happen. Why? Do you know? I don't know why. I don't know the science behind it. I was speaking to a doctor and he goes, oh, yeah, that's not supposed to happen. I think it's, uh, I don't think um, arteries and veins are supposed to heal like that. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't think so. I, I don't know much myself. Yeah, so me either. Yeah. We're not doctors. No, that's right. <laughs> but for me, um, when the doctors say, oh, well, that's that's a miracle. I was like, oh, okay. Maybe there's something here. Um, 
So then I quit butchering after I uh, learned to walk again and all that sort of stuff because I also cut a whole bunch of nerves and whatever else in that. Yeah. Um, was in the hospital for, I think, six weeks. Maybe a bit less. Wow. If you don't mind me asking just for hand reference, like how big was the, the cut? Uh, well, I've, I mean, I've got a photo I can send to you so you can, yeah, I don't know, <laughs> but, um, uh, on my leg, he's put his leg up on the table, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> it runs from my knee to here. That's the surgery cut. The cut was that. So, so was, he's pointing to pretty much almost his entire quad. I would say that's about three inches. Three inches. I was going to say three that. Inch cut. Three inch cut. That's huge. Well, that's so big. Three like, inch cut. So it went in. And butcher knives are really small, right? So the initial entrance maybe would have been less than an inch. Wow. Um, way less than an inch. Maybe maybe a couple of centimeters. Um, but coming out, because I've kind of pulled like that, and because it bounced off the bone, um, it kind of pulled out a bit. So it ended up being maybe three inches. Um, but then the rest of the cut is uh, surgery. So mm -hmm. they open it up because what had happened keeping the tourniquet on, it created this massive blood clot, this mm. hematoma. And so what they had to do was surgically remove the hematoma. Um, oh. And so they cut a little bit. And what happened was uh, because I was in the emergency, emergency department for so long, a, a lot of my quad had kind of liquefied. Not in like this crazy way, but the connective tissue um, had uh, relaxed so much that when they cut that out, the quad popped onto the table. Part of the quad, at least, because I had cut it by that point. So they cut down to the knee um, to be able to relocate all that stuff and put it back in and dislocated my knee accidentally while they were doing that. Oh. And then they had to do a fasciotomy. So some of the, the muscle had swollen, so they had to cut some of the muscle off. Wow. Yeah. So that was why. And then they did a whole bunch of nerve work as well. So that's why I had to... Learn to walk again on that. Leg. Really? Yeah. And how long did that take? Oh, not not so not so long. Like, because uh, I still had, I knew how to walk. It was more just uh, um, learning to walk without feeling the leg. Okay. And that was only for maybe six weeks. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So. <laughs> Sorry, fuck. We've gone that's amazing. That's, ama that's topic. A, that is amazing, though. I mean, that's a fuck. Wow. So. Okay, so you're out of hospital. Then what happened? Yeah. Right. So uh, I went back to butchering for a bit and had PTSD. Couldn't couldn't do that anymore. Okay. Um, mm. Normal, right? Like yeah. any time I picked up a knife, I just started shivering. Mm. Um, and I didn't think I'd be like that. I thought I'd be fine. And I, in fact, I, I went back to work on crutches because I'd always just kind of been like that. Like, oh, no, I'm good. I want to go back. Um, it was in my head, I think it was more just I was trying to Maybe not show off, but I just wanted to show that I wasn't useless. You know, being young, I, I was always trying to prove myself. So, um, yeah, I, I went back straight away and shouldn't have. And then I, I quit and left that partnership. Mm. Um, I then decided, you know, it, that experience for me, I wanted to learn more about God. So I went back and did uh, Bible college. Same as Jamil. Yeah. You tell me about that. Yeah. You yeah. tell me some interesting stories yeah. about that. He's an interesting guy, man. I've got to ask you because yeah. he told me he had participated in an exorcism before. Mm. And I thought that was one of the craziest things he told me as well. Yeah. Have you ever been participated participated in one of those before? Yeah, I think we're probably in the same one. Um, wow. 
So let me quickly. It's not. Uh, it's not what you think. When you watch the movies, you hear of. So exorcisms. there was no like. No yeah, one jumping up. No, none of that. Yeah, and, and so no, no holy force. water. and Oh, no power of Christ compels you? No, not really. Oh. It was more, look, for us, it was um, when we're praying for people, strange things happen, right? We, we could be praying for people and they get healed. Okay. Uh, we pray for people and there are miraculous things that happen. Um, uh, other times uh, we're praying and then all of a sudden a voice that isn't that person's voice speaks to us. Wow. Right, a young girl now has this super deep voice, so the, the weird things were happening, and so that that is our experience in terms of. I think for him maybe it was a different one. We got to see a couple of couple of them. I mean, even when we went to, did Jamil? Yeah, Jamil and I went to Japan together to do like a mission trip. He never told me this. Yeah, yeah, we went to. I mean, and I think that was the travel bug for him. He got bit by the travel bug after that trip because okay. he would go to Japan and and a whole bunch of other places a lot after that. Um, yeah, we, we did a missions trip together, uh, and that was really cool. And we saw some, uh, I think he and I were praying at one point at a university and there were some weird things that happened. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm trying to explain the, the whole, uh, exorcism thing. It wasn't, it wasn't as crazy as you might think, but it was certainly enough to, to make you go, well, what was that? Yeah. I actually just like thinking about it because... I'm not religious at all and all that. I believe strongly in the... I, well, I'd say something I say to people. If there's one thing I believe in, anything else in the world, and that's karma. Yep. And if God is karma, then I believe in God. And yep. that's what I tell people. Because I honestly believe if you do good in this life, good things will happen to you. If you do shit, you will always get what's coming to you. And mm. it may not be today or tomorrow, but in the end, you always... It, those kind of, It will come back to you. Yep. I honestly believe that. And... When people do good things, like, you know, uh, and obviously as a Christian yourself, when people do good things in missionary work, always believe that they're trying to do something for the goodness of others, mm. and that's what they preach. And those are what attracts me to religion. Yeah. I'm not at all concerned about what you believe, um, like the religious beliefs, like your stance on abortion or gay marriage or whatever. No, yeah. I care about what you do as a person. As part of that religion, and when you talk about going to missionaries mm. and going away to, um, to countries to help people, that's the stuff that uh, main attracts to. And just the second thing is like, I've seen so many exorcisms like through movies and horror yeah. movies. I just wish I could just be standing there in the room, just like, with the holy water <laughs> at a cross, just like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> don't go near, David. Anyway, yeah, yeah. we're getting a little bit off that's topic. All right. Yeah. So you you had this experience, and then you came back, and then what was it? What point you realized, okay, I'm going to start Temper Life. Yeah, no, it's it's good. Look, uh, I'll fast forward a bit. So I did Bible college after that, and and those experiences it made me um, it made me think there's there's more, right? So that that initial leg thing was enough for me to go, damn. Not only is there more to life, but maybe there's more that I can give to other people. I wanted to go know more about God, because in reading the Bible, Jesus is the ultimate. Um, example of what it is to be like a good person right okay i'll give you that yeah yeah and so uh so i was like if i could be a little bit like him i think i'd have a pretty good life so for me it was more about contribution now than about um attaining uh money or fame or anything and i had worked hard at a young age to be good at something and so I knew how to do that. And for me, it was just the apprenticeship model again. So I need to go learn from people who are doing this stuff, 
whether it's at church or somewhere else, um, so that I could find a thing that makes me feel like I'm giving to people. So that was the beginning of maybe a nearly 10-year journey in trying to figure out what that was. So after Bible college, I did a whole bunch of bits and pieces. I ended up becoming a, a cook and a chef because and, I just used the butcher thing. Um, I did a whole bunch of other things and ended up finding myself at this school called Alter One. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I was working there for a little while. My sister had been there for a long time and my now wife, back then girlfriend, or maybe even we hadn't even started dating yet, um, she was working there as well. And that's a, a school for at-risk youth. Um, me growing up, I think I heard your episode with Jamil and you spoke about uh, you have ADD. So I was diagnosed with ADHD. Oh, no, I, I don't six. have ADD. Oh, you don't? I oh, don't. Oh, okay. I'm deaf. I'm oh, deaf. Oh, I'm sorry, man. Yeah. I think he may have said it then. He, in a way, I think he was telling a story about somebody who had ADD. He was talking about me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All okay, right. that... that Full circle now. Okay, wow. So yep. you're... Okay. I want to talk about that more in a second. Yeah, all good. Um, uh, right. So diagnosed with ADHD at a really young age. Um, I have loving parents. They wanted the best for me. And what they thought was the best was going to lots of doctors, getting lots of medication, all that sort of stuff. Medication made... Uh, I started having Tourette's, uh, Tourette's and tics. Wow. At a really young age. Um, and that made me different. And then that difference and seeing how other people treated me made me resentful. Wow, I ne I would, I never picked that up about you, like because you speak perfectly. Yeah, so. I don't have them anymore. Wow. So how did you how did you overcome something like that? Uh, is, that is that the right way to say, right way to say? It? Well, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, I think just time. Okay. Yeah, I think people who have it learn. I when I get nervous or if I have too much caffeine, I I get the facial tics back. Okay. But um, nothing more than that. And when I say Tourette's, it wasn't like the swearing Tourette's or anything. It was uh, Tourette's is a form of, of tick or spasm. Mm. So I would have the facial Tourette's and facial tics. Uh, I would also have, um, I'd stutter. I'd have different words, different breathing things as well. It was almost like an OCD thing. I had to breathe through my nose at a certain pace. Otherwise, I'd have to start again. And sometimes I'd get caught in the middle of a breath. So I'd take a breath. And I had to wait until it felt right to exhale. It was really weird. These okay. weird things happen. Um, and sometimes I still do that. Sometimes if I'm nervous, feel under pressure, or like I said, have too much caffeine, mm -hmm. um, they come back. But I, I know how to manage them. Um, go have some uh, some tea or something and I calm down. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, I was not what you'd call an at-risk youth, but I certainly had at-risk behaviors. Okay. So I loved doing that work. I loved working at that school. Um, I ended up getting the opportunity to do this thing called TEP, which is we partnered with a whole bunch of government organizations and we were working with these kids one-on-one um, -on -one that needed specific help. That was the beginning for me of coaching. So my job was literally I was given a car, I'd go pick up a kid and we'd hang out. And the whole idea was to increase engagement in schools and community programs and, and in society and to um, uh, decrease the rate at which they were going to prison. So some of them were going in and out of Banksy Hill detention. Wow. Uh, and so I, I got the opportunity to be part of that. That was really cool. So that was the beginning for me. Um, 
I had a business partner at the very beginning and he was in education and we had this idea of why don't we help those kids when they turn after they turn 18. Okay. That didn't work out. Um, fast forward, like I said, it's been a five year journey. Um, fast forward to uh, October 1st, 2021. So now I think we're caught up now. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, I mean, I've done a whole bunch of other bits and pieces and I had different businesses that I was a part of and I had my sales moments as well, you know, just hustling and trying to find something to do in between bits and pieces. But ultimately it was um, Butcher, uh, that whole church scene. And in that I was doing lots of odd jobs just to, at the time it felt like church was my job. I was volunteering, I was doing what I could, but it was in exploration of God and myself. And then I went into uh, the school and did a whole bunch of stuff there. And then uh, after that, I got, actually, that's a part I missed out. I ended up working at a church, big church in Perth. Um, like as a minister? No, no. So uh, another odd job, odd skill that I'd picked up was production. So lighting, sound, videography, think live events, think nightclubs. I worked at a few of the Perth nightclubs doing the lighting and uh, all that sort of stuff and kind of picked that up just for fun. Okay. It was just something I liked. I liked the technology of it. I liked the um, the artistry of you know the music festival lights and is was cool for me. Um, I was also heavily involved in leadership and stuff and had done two years of a leadership college and all this stuff. So I uh, got this offer that came out of nowhere to lead the production team at this big church. It was a team at the time of uh, nearly 100, 100 volunteers and so and, and I think six or seven staff and so it was a cool opportunity for me to go in and go cool I can uh, focus on this leadership piece um, as well as do the things I'm good at I, I enjoy those big projects and um, trying to come up with how to how to best um, how to best add something to the atmosphere in a live music environment so anyway, I did that and, and that was um, that was beginning for me to go, okay, I think I've gone off track a bit. So it, I was down this road in terms of contribution, helping people. And then I kind of took a sharp left to do this stuff and it was good. I ended up in uh, doing bits and pieces within that church that led me back to where I started leading uh, the uh, Bible college in terms of the... Um, uh, like the interns and started helping them figure out what they want to do in life after church and all that sort of stuff. And so it kind of drove me back to that. And then October 1st, 2020, I decided I'm going to go full-time with Temper. By that Ooh. point, we had a few clients on board doing, and what it really was, was at the beginning, it was even really career coaching. A whole bunch of young people were just, they got lost. They didn't know where they were going or what they wanted to do didn't feel connected to anything and they felt like they had all this drama that they didn't know how to sort out and so what they needed was someone to talk to them ask them the right questions and then hold them accountable to the things they said they do okay why is it that you think that people become so lost after the age of 18 that's a big that's a big question i think it's not just then um like if you don't mind me asking what's the oldest client you've ever had mm, like 40 Wow, Maybe. Yeah, but that was that was an odd situation, and uh, I picked up a lot of life coaches. Um, they find they find their worth in coaching 
in moments of transition. Okay. Right? So we're talking 18 to 25, you're in a heavy moment of transition. Correct. Right? You've <laughs> just left school. You're, everything's happening. You're leaving school. You're leaving home. You're probably leaving a friendship group if you're traveling. Um, you might be leaving a relationship, but you're also going into something new. You might be going into school. You might be going into work. You might be going into a new relationship or friendship group. So you're transitioning. There's a key transition phase that's happening. And what is required when we transition is some form of evolution. You as a person need to change. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I agree with you. Definitely that one. Then. Yeah. I mean, uh, you being at school and then going into work, that's a huge mindset shift that needs to happen. Yeah, because at school, you're like told what to do yeah. every moment of the day. Mm -hmm. And then when you go into work, you're like, you get told what to do, but you have to be more accountable regardless of what it is. Yeah, you're responsible for something. There's, yeah. there's actual weight on what you do. Whereas um, in school and even university, and this is a big thing that we help a lot of our graduates with now, which is you've been, for, all, for a lot of people that come out of university, for all their life, they've been a student and now they have to work. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I mean, and they have no idea how to do it. Yeah, that's the thing. I I honestly found the what's the, what's the best way? Intelligence can get you so far in life, but having a work ethic is always going to you can you can do most most jobs require work ethic. Yep. You know, pretty much nearly all. And if the the more I tell people that when I tell you, especially young men. The more you learn to build a work ethic, and that has to be through school. Like yeah. they say, school's pointless. I'm like, not quite. Like, you have to learn how to obviously study, and you have to learn how to write, and you have mm. to learn how to understand failure or injection, mm. and then you have to like keep trying and trying, and then that's what's going to get you further in life. And I always believe the biggest six, the people who were great, uh, good at something, were all just great failures. And I and I tell um tell always people at school I was like, keep an eye on the guy who fails the most but keeps trying. Mm. He's the one you want to watch out for, mm. and then watch out for the person as well who succeeds in everything without trying, and then watch what happens to them after school. Yeah. And now I'm 23 myself. I've seen it happen in uni, and I've yeah. seen it happen in high school, mm. and that's the point. That that's the number one skill I believe that everyone should really have. Uh so. Do you think when it came to, you know, temper, because you had built up all these skills from doing these previous jobs of production and obviously working in church and mm. as a butcher, <laughs> like what happened when you started? Did anything like from the past, like transition over into this business or? Yeah, big okay. time. I mean, uh, James Altucher, uh, one of my favorite authors, he has this book called Skip the Line. Skip the Line. Okay. And it basically talks about this idea of 10,000 hours, right? Now, he, he was a huge advocate for it early on and then wrote this book and it seemed as though he almost switched. But what he was saying is it's not actually 10,000 hours at one given task or one specific niche or discipline that will get you to mastery. Okay. What it is, is 10,000 experiments. And so he talks about you can borrow your time from other things to then attain a high level or skip the line to reach mastery in something else. I never thought of it like that. It's cool, eh? I always thought if you want a mastery of something, you have to do it ten, like, for 10,000 hours mm. or 10 years. That's why I always yeah. believed. I never yeah. believed it can come from other things. Yeah, and so for me, uh, 
things I learned in butchery was retail, was uh, time management, was action. Like I, I, at an early age, had to learn to have a predisposition for action, to do something. Um, that created work ethic. That created discipline. Um, waking up at four in the morning and not getting home until, you know, uh, seven, eight, nine, and then going to jujitsu afterwards and, you know, going, oh, this is what I want, so I need to go do that thing. Um, there's uh, Marcus Aurelius talks uh, about uh, waste no time arguing what a good man, man is instead of be one. Right? I love, oh God, yeah. And so for me, the coaching piece actually came from the specific discipline that I do, which is ontological coaching. Okay, explain to me what, okay. what <laughs> that get, is. Yeah. I know, I know we're going into a lot of topics here, right. but I'm very interested in what you're talking about. So what is this on, ontology? Okay, so on, ultimately, ontology is um, a sub-domain in philosophy. Okay. And what it means is uh, the, the, it translates into uh, understanding being. So if we're human beings, it's what is the being part? We know what the human part is. It's biology. It's biological. That's what makes that is what makes a human, the human species, the human animal. The being part is a lot more ethereal. It's a lot harder to pin down. And so ontology is concerned with well, what's the being part. And so ontological coaching helps a person's way of being. And to break it up and make it super simple, a human, a human's being, a person's being, is broken into three domains: our language. Okay which is um, how I speak, but also how I listen. Even as I'm talking now, you've got commentary in your mind. There are ultimately three conversations that are happening here. The one between you and I, and the one I'm having in my head, and the one you're having in your head. So that's listening. Um, but then speaking, uh, words are not just descriptive, they're formative. I can create the world around me with the things that I say. And I can also create the perception you have of me and the things in the world by the things I say. So that's language. Um, emotions. So there are two parts to emotions. Ultimately, uh, think of it as a river. On the top, there are ripples. That's your emotions. Underneath is a current. You can't see it, but it's a thing that has the pull, the power. And that's what would be a mood. So let's say you're angry. That's the emotion. The mood underneath is resentment. It's something that is sustaining. It's a state that you're in. And then body. Attached to all of those things um, is your body. And you embody emotions and moods, but you also embody language. If you say something about yourself, you're going to start acting that way. If people say things about you, you're going to act that way. Uh, so ontological coaching helps a person understand those three domains and then make shifts in each of those domains to move to a better, more successful, more helpful uh, way of being. Is this something that you use as well with your coaching? You teach this is, this yeah. is basically our philosophy. Wow. Yeah. Okay. How did you hear about this? Uh, uh, so I, when I was young, I got right into coaching. Coaching was the thing that seemed to help me the most. And that was actually introduced through jujitsu. Okay. The people who helped me the most were my coaches. And so I got really interested in that and thought there's got to be more to coaching wonder if you can coach someone for everything in life and then i figured out the whole life coaching thing and did the whole tony robbins thing yeah. and went down all that path the nlp and whatever else i've always always been critical of yeah. those sorts of things because <laughs> i mean like what's the, what's the 
best way I can nail something down to like, I love books, right? Mm. I'm trying to write one myself. Cool. Yeah. And it's, it's a non, it's, it's a fiction book. It's a fictional book. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, so I, I mean, and I've always questioned self-help, mm. self-help books. <laughs> and some of them are really good. Some of them are just, can be narrowed into one page. But I always tell people, if you want to learn, mm. and edu- sorry, if you want to educate yourself, you just have to do it. It's so simple. Mm-hmm. You can read every jujitsu book under the sun that's not going to make you a good, ju- I mean, a great jujitsu practitioner. I mean, without having to step on the mats, yeah. you have to do the work itself. And yep. I've always told people as well, work does, motiv- you don't need motivation to work. Motivation comes from working. Mm-hmm. Motivation comes from discipline. And that is one thing I always tell people about life. So when you read a book, like, a, what's a really good example? Um, like, how to get rich in 20 oh, days yeah, yeah. or how to get, how to yeah, make six that. figures in six months or how to, you know, you, you know these types of books I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, this one book itself is not going to get you rich. No. You know, you can apply the concepts, okay? But if you actually want to get rich, you actually have to fucking do the work. Uh-huh. And then the other thing you got to ask yourself as well, how much do I want this? And how much am I willing to suffer for this? Like, cool. I tell people... Speaking my language, man. Yeah, I know. People's successes are what they chose to suffer for. So if they say, for example, mm-hmm. the basic thing I tell everybody when it comes to co- um, being a PT myself, I say, okay, so we want to lose, let's say, 10 kilos in... How long is the time frame? Is a good time frame? Good. Just over two months. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay. Okay. So it's do- it's it's kind of doable. Then I got to ask the, the deep question. This is what rubs people the wrong way. But what are you willing to suffer for? Are you mm. willing to get up at like five in the morning, do your cardio? Okay, you're willing to turn down alcohol and how much like the alcohol, how yeah. much you like the poor foods yep. and how limiting the poor foods. And then you have to, you know, come back and train later on. That's mm. how you're going to get there. And then once you tell people, if they say yes and apply it then they will get there but it's always going to come down to what you what you're willing to suffer for and that's the best thing about that's one of the things i tell people about humans yeah is you know we get to choose our suffering and that we are always choosing mm. now that's a concept that i tell people look it's the best way to put it break it down is you know the time you know this term oh yeah 10 percent of life is what happens to us 90 percent how we respond yeah I believe the more responsibility you take for your life, the more power you're going to get. Uh-huh. And by doing that is by choosing how to respond. Like, for example, it's so basic, uh, such of a concept. Like, if you punch me in the face, I can't control that you punch me in the face, but I can always control how, you resp- how I respond to everything. Yep. And then people say things like, look, oh, what if, like, to say, for example, you know, I was hit by a car or my husband left me or something. They give me, like, yeah. real bad examples. And like, God forbid, like those things have happened to you. And uh, but at the same time, yes, you are still choosing mm-hmm. how you how you respond, mm. and you can choose to to heal by like you know doing things like going to therapy, yep. physical therapy, or you can choose to you know let it control you yeah. and dictate your life. So, man, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There was a lot in that as well. Yeah, I know that was it was just so much because like. Do you ever have this thing where you're going on in your head where you have one concept and you're trying to tell one thing and then your mm. mind switches to another concept and you sidestep? That's yep. how I think sometimes on this podcast, you know. Um, that's cool. Let's go. Let's just go back a little bit. So, what do you do when people come to yeah. you? Then? What's the first <laughs> thing you do when people come to you when they say, "Hey, I need, hey, Brandon, I need help." Yeah. Quickly, I want a rapid fire response to the things you said just before. Mm-hmm. Um, 
there's a there's a quote which is um, self help is ultimately masturbation. That fight right? club. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay, yeah. So yeah, true, good. It's true. Um, and it it is so true. Um, I. I got right in the self-help bubble early on, spent all this money on all these things. And, and I was like, this is just nonsense. Like th- if you don't know how to help yourself, you can't self-help. So what you need is someone to teach you that. And so I invest in his coaches. Um, coaches, that's not self-help. There's someone there helping you. That's a big difference. Um, you know this, right? So yeah. it's uh, you're trying to train someone to self-help. Right, you train them in the right way to look after their body. It's that whole thing of teach a man to fish. Okay. Right. So eventually, they'll be educated and know well enough to do the thing, and have built enough discipline to keep themselves accountable to do the thing. Mm-hmm. After maybe a few years, but it's not going to be instant unless they're born with this, you know, drive and switch where they can go. Okay, I'm doing this now. Mm. Um. It, in terms of what do I do when people come in, we first start with a conversation and that's it. We don't go any further than that until like we've both decided that's the right thing for them. And more often than not, I'll turn people away. The reason is a lot of people will come in wanting a quick fix. And to go into everything that we we're talking about, um, the choice of pain, the choice of suffering, all of what temper is, it, the name temper is um, built on the blacksmith or metallurgy word, which is tempering metal. Ultimately, what it is, is it's a process. So you get a lump piece of metal. You take it through the heating, refining, the smashing. You temper it. And what you're doing is bringing out the very best qualities of that metal so that it's built for purpose, much more valuable, much more resilient. And the difference between resilience and, and toughness, tough is brittle. It breaks, resilience bends, and it's not deformed by the bend either. It can bend back. So everything that we're doing, temper is a philosophy for us. It's a philosophy I've had to live. So 2020, I've, I've mentioned the, um, the date a few times, no, uh, October 1st, 2020, I went full-time with temper. November 1st, 2020, my mom passed away. Wow. Out of nowhere. Wow. I went full-time with my business. Two weeks later, my mom got sick. Three weeks after that, she died. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. In that, uh, I had gone full-time in my business. I didn't have anything else to fall back on. And I chose to not rush into anything. I chose to grieve. I chose to stop, to do the work properly, to allow myself to feel the pain. And grief is accepting that the future that you had in mind with that person or with that thing or with that whatever is not going to happen anymore. I had this dream in my head to retire my mom and my dad. I can't do that. I had this dream in my head to somehow prove I was good enough to my mom. I couldn't do that anymore. So I had to accept I was already good. I was already good enough. My mom was proud and she died proud of me. That was big work. I wouldn't be able to do if she was still alive. That's choice, right? And so that's deep work. People have to choose to do that deep work. And so when I work with people, it's not that deep all the time, but it's helping point out what is the thing in your way. Mm. Oftentimes, it's you. Mm. I feel like a lot of what you're telling me right now is that 
death is the biggest motivator. I don't know, talk about motivation yeah. now, but death is like the biggest motivator. I, mm. I, um, I've lived this, I mean, so far in my life, I've lived it solely based on things I care about the most yeah. and I find most meaning because I haven't had, don't, I can't really say I have a story much like you do because I haven't had to, you know, the tragedy of burying a loved one or losing a loved one in this life yet. Um, you know, touch wood doesn't happen. Mm. All right. <laughs> but I had a situation in my life where back when I was in high school, there was a boy who did have cancer Yeah. and he passed away from cancer and he was obviously being a teenager and all that. He was so young. I didn't fully grasp the concept of it then, but I was and I wasn't close to him, but the idea behind, you know, n tomorrow's not guaranteed. Mm. That's what I tell people. And when people say life is short, yeah, it can be. Mm. So if you don't do so when, when these things happen, like it gives you this wake up call yep. and people, I would say you such as yourself use that as the most pivotal moment of their life. Like mm. a friend would lose his best mate and then everything that he thought was his issue before then would change and how mm. you change and it changes the way you see the world. So that's the one thing. So one thing, as well that we have to understand is that you know you too will die one day and you don't know when it's going to happen or what it's going to do so if you remind yourself that more the, the issues that really are bugging you don't really become so much more smaller mm. so mm. that's a point that i wanted to make but yeah so keep going with the story yeah yeah so uh i i think that was that's a big driver for me right and it's not this whole thing of um uh i mean what are you talking about that whole Remember, you'll die as memento mori, right? Yeah, yeah. Stoicism, uh, one hundred and one. It's yeah. the it's that number one thing, where, which is remember. Ultimately, you're going to die, and and the thing that you are putting so much effort into might not matter. Um, you get cut off on the freeway, and you start chasing the guy down. Memento mori. Are yeah. you going to die? Yeah. Is it worth? Is it worth spending even a minute, a second, thinking about this person, or do you just get on with your day? So, um, what that does is helps you prioritize what is important and what ultimately became important for me through all that through all of that through my whole life story yeah. is a thing that we do to contribute to other people the contribution my mom had to me anyone that encountered her that's her legacy she was an amazing person everyone says that she was the most generous person they had met she's great um i know that for me yeah. that she was that person other people don't know that about her and that's okay uh, but for me, when I work with people, especially young people who are so fixated on the money, the fame, the, all that stuff, I'm, I'm cool with you wanting that. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's, that's not the thing that will prevail. Mm. You wanting money, what happens when you get that money? You wanting fame, what happens when you get that fame? Mm. What kind of person are you and what kind of contribution are you having? That's the thing that's important. Legacy ultimately doesn't really last. Not really. I, in, if I make all this money and fame and I build up this massive legacy and I hand that over to my kids, statistically, three generations, they, no one will know who I am. No one really would know my family's name because it, it's just what happens. It's personal choice. And so what I'm doing, what Temper is, is helping people realize the power they have is in choice. You want to go in and you want to do this for work, choose that. 
you choose to come here on a Saturday to do this because this is important to you. You want to help people tell their stories. You want to hear more about what people are doing. You want to make connections. You want to build that whole thing up. That is you continually choosing. I'm not a big proponent on purpose in terms of one purpose. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big advocate for that. Purpose changes. We choose a purpose. My purpose right now is different to when I get home and I'm a husband. Mm. My purpose is different when I'm a husband to when I'm at work. The the meaning I give things is also different, but there's a thing, there's a pattern, there's a leaning that I have in my life, which is I want people to be the best versions of themselves, whether it's physically, whether it's emotionally, spiritually, mentally, uh, occupationally, whatever. So that ultimately is what Temper is about. Um, Temper career coaching exists. We work with graduates and uh, young adults, but then we've also just pivoted and we're, we've moved into the recruitment space as well. So there was another piece that had to be added to all that, which is we help them get to the point where they're ready for the job, but then how do they get the job? Mm-hmm. And so now we work in the other side, working with employers to go and find those people who are going to help them find the be the right fit, especially in this market, how crazy it is. Mm-hmm. We help them, the the employer and the employee, find that that perfect match. Oh, okay. And that's what temper is. Wow. And this is, and you've been doing this for, did you say how many years now? Five years. Five years. Yeah. So I know I got to ask this now because it's one of the things I like to ask everybody is doing a business as well but what was like what would you say was one of the it doesn't have to be the biggest but what would you say is one of the biggest struggles that's happened to you like along like along uh creating this business yeah i mean uh second to losing my mum a month after i decided to go all in and put everything all the chips in and try my hand at business um i feel like that was the biggest thing that could go wrong right like after that my business partner decided to leave um He, and, and you know what, he was exactly what I needed early on. Um, the business, when I stopped, the business stopped. And so he had a, a young family and was doing all these things. I, hats off to him. I've got all the time in the world for him. He did not do the wrong thing. He absolutely did the right thing. But um, that was, and that was a mutual decision as well. Point that out. But that was definitely painful as well realizing okay i'm now doing this alone and of course you get that thought which is do i just wrap it up do i stop now there's no point in continuing this everything has stopped i've got no business coming in i've completely stopped all that exists is the name okay that was probably the worst season okay along with that stopping for a man you and your wife is the one going to work every day and coming home and bringing in the money that was probably really tough as well. Because mm, mm, yeah. all we want as men is to provide. Yeah. You ever heard the Chris Rock saying, you know, only women, children, and dogs are loved unconditionally. Mm. Men are only lo- loved under one condition they provide. Yeah. And if yeah. I want to go deeper into this now because you're a Christian, mm. doesn't the Bible also say something, a man who cannot provide for his family cannot enter this? gates of saint peter or something like that? i don't know if i said that correct is that quote but yeah um, i mean maybe true? yeah probably okay <laughs> the bible is full of crazy and wild stuff mm. um and i'm certainly not going to pretend to know all of it 
Yeah. Uh, it probably says something like that somewhere, but it also says a whole bunch of stuff about not eating pork and not getting tattoos. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I like I'm I'm I'm, yeah. I'm absolutely a Christian, but I'm also one that likes to explore other things. And I'm, I'm big in Eastern philosophies, and you know, I've I've read the Bhagavad Gita and the Quran. The, and, what is the Bhagavad Gita? Uh, um, I'm going to absolutely mess this up. Hindu. Oh, it's the Hindu um, religious text. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah, more or less. I think it's like a saga. Okay. Um, uh, yeah. So, I've I'm right into all that stuff, and as well as uh, Western philosophy, all the all the ancient greats, the Socrates and the Diogenes, and all the ancient Greek philosophers and the Romans and stuff like that. So, I'm I'm a big learner, and all I want is what is what have other people explored about this whole human thing wow i think that's what religion does it's trying to explore that extra bit which we call spirituality and really it's just the invisible things Um. and so i'm a christian and i believe uh jesus is real and exists and, and died for my sins but uh at the same time i can have a conversation uh in depth uh, about the Torah with a Jewish person, because I read I read that and I, I like to learn about other people and their and what they think is correct. I think there's a lot. Yes, I, I would I would definitely support that and back that up because I believe being open minded is a very powerful thing, mm. and I feel like the more certain we are about things, the less the more anxious. So the more certain we are about something, the more anxious we become. Yeah. So let's say, for example, I always tell myself this, I am wrong about everything and that's okay. Uh-huh. So put it this way, 20 years ago, we thought that, you know, uh, that they could cure um, any mental illness by lobotomizing people. Yep. I can't remember it, but it would stick a needle through <laughs> yeah. their eye and then he turned people into potatoes and all mm-hmm. that. People used to think that, it. <laughs> yeah, women used to think that putting dog urine on their face would have anti-aging, yeah. like cutting off a limb would stop any kind of bite or whatever or healing. Crazy. And we are human beings. We're making this and we look back at mistakes of the past and we go, holy shit, they actually did that. Like yeah. that was real. And I think to myself, 30 years from now, they're going to look back at this and they're going to go, holy shit, they actually did that 100%. as well. And yep. we're always going to be wrong about everything. The only <laughs> thing that goes down in the future is that we're just going to be a little bit less wrong. Really? That's what I tell people. Yeah. Uh, Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I agree. But at the same time, I think uh, 30 years from now, we're probably going to be thinking about bigger problems than, you know, the Amber Heard trial. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. I just had to print that up. Yeah, no, it was good. Because it was my favorite. It was, I... It's good. It was fun. I tell people this just going over, but 2022 is the year we call out toxic women. <laughs> Come that's, on, man. That's the point. I mean, yeah. that, was, that was the big thing. That was the big takeaway from me. But, I mean, just, it was... Just the whole, the reason why I took so much interest into it, because obviously, fucking growing up, I love Pirates of the Caribbean. I say this out, but I thought Amber Heard was a decent act, is a decent actress. I liked Aquaman. A lot of people didn't like Aquaman, but I liked Aquaman. Yeah. So, I liked Amber, Amber Heard as an actress. Okay, I'll give her that. But as a person, okay, no, nah, that's a She kind of came out of nowhere as well, right? Like, yeah. was that her first big thing or was she in something I, else i don't really know mm. i know that she did a few things before and i remember that her and johnny they met on the set of a movie oh yeah and then this was johnny's second wife oh yeah yeah and also the other thing was uh, the biggest red flag i looked at was um 
the age difference between the two people forget that Johnny mm. Depp's in his fifties. Yeah. And Amber Heard's only thirty six. Like she basically took a dad to trial. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> That's the definition of daddy issues. Yeah, like. yeah, for sure. <laughs> for but sure. I just thought the whole thing was hilarious. And then there's that and just I uh, People fascinate, the brand people fascinate me. That's why I do this podcast because mm. I nowadays there's always going to be some form of like cultural shift going on, and I always and the biggest thing I'm got where I believe where we're going right now is that COVID shook everything up. Can I ask you something, Brendan? Have you ever heard of the St. George and the Dragon theory? Oh no, no. So this Hit isn't me. a real. Um, this isn't acknowledged yet by psychologists. It's theorized. Okay. So, so, you know the story of St. George? Yep. Dragon. So, kill dragon, become famous, blah, blah, blah. Known throughout the folklore. So, we take some... In, throughout human history, we as men, we love to solve problems. Mm-hmm. We, we, we... Obviously, we've done a pretty good job at it. <laughs> uh, but it's the... I, and as humans in general, as well, we love to solve problems. And it's the idea if we take something really, really, really big, we solve it, right? Yep. And we feel good about ourselves. Like, we can do this. We can do this. Let's go find something and have a big problem. Like a dragon. Mm. The dragon's meant to, as a metaphor for a problem. But because there's a lack of dragons in the land, we start looking for lesser beasts. And because we can't find, and then we start hacking at lesser beasts, aka lesser problems, we start hacking at thin air. And then we start going down to things that are just almost pointless. Uh For example, we get so emotional over the tiniest of things. Like... Like, like something from 20 years ago can't be accepted there because it's considered racist like a child's cartoon or a movie or a joke mm. that someone said 20 years ago or a tweet that someone said 20, 10 years ago and then they have to lose their job as a, as a result of it mm. you know what I mean and mm. that's everything people change 100% so, yeah. um, so I'm, 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 I've got my phone in front of me because as you're talking about that there was this quote that came to mind yeah okay um, but the, the, sorry I just wanted to wrap up the last point was because when COVID came around, that's a fucking dragon. That's mm. a worldwide epidemic. Mm. So when COVID was going around, no one was pointing the finger at some cartoon calling it racist or homophobic or transphobic. People were actually worried, fuck, am I going to be able to eat? Am I going to have a job by the end yeah. of the week? Am I going to yeah. be able to feed my kids? How do I protect myself from this virus? That's what shifted everyone's attention. 100%. Yeah. So that's that's what I mean. And that's when I thought this... I, I was wrong about this theory as well. I mean... Because when I thought Ukraine came around, I thought we're in the Russia War situation. Time. I thought we were actually going to go into another world war, yeah, and I was too. like, "Oh shit, here's another dragon." Yeah, because yeah, and it was just a, I believe it's like a cycle. But well, you know that old. Um, I think Joe Rogan probably made it famous. Good old Joe Rogan. Yeah. But um, the whole thing of uh, what is it? The tough times make strong men. Yeah. That's a cycle. Okay. So I'm also yeah. going to tell you something else about that. Hit me. Okay. Um, <laughs> there's a book I reckon because obviously. We love books and all that. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a book I think you should read. The author's now dead. And I, fun fact, I actually got to speak to him before he died as what? well. Yeah, so um, uh, it's a book called Hard Times Create Strong Men. Cool. It's okay. literally called that, and it's named after that cycle and explains the concept of that mm. cycle. Uh, it was made by, it was written by Stefan Ario. Okay. Uh, the poor the poor geezer passed away from uh, from cancer and all that. And um, I'd oh, read fine. all his books, and what happened was I reached out to him before he died. And it turns out he was actually on his deathbed, responding to fans. Wow. Yeah, he got famous before, just as he as he was Oof. dying. Yeah, it's crazy. But the book talks about that cycle and that 
you know, it, and why that poem is true. Mm. But nowadays, it's it shouldn't just be applied to it because the poem back then it just applies to men today. It just is a, it applies to people yeah. in general. Yeah. I believe that. Yeah. Mm. And, and right now, they reckon he actually predicted COVID. <laughs> really? Yeah. Before he died, he said, "I reckon either two, three things will happen in the next five years." We're going to have a massive worldwide epidemic. He was right about that. Mm. We're going to have another civil war. Obviously, that hasn't kicked off yet. Yep. Or we're going to have a massive, massive global financial crisis that people are going to be fighting over something so small, such as water. Mm. I wouldn't say we're there yet, but... Yeah, I mean, okay, so what the pandemic did in terms of the world of work, and yeah. that, that's a big kind of... Our tagline with Temper Talent, which is our recruitment arm, is leading the future of work. Okay. Because... What has happened, the world of work is completely changing. So um, the people who have the power now are the employees, not the employers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the talent shortage has meant that employers are paying in some industries like crazy money. Like FIFO workers. That's FIFO what, workers, technology, yeah. uh, medical, all these people that are skill training, mm-hmm. like they, they need skills training um, to be able to be good at something for a certain amount of time um they are the most sought after they are gold right now right so they hold the power it's supply and demand it's really high demand really low supply and so the people who have that skill know so they're the ones with the power so it's completely changed the way that things happen but employers are still trying to do things the old way and employees still act like it's the old way where we come in is help kind of clear out all the the muddy water, make it really clear as what's happening. We are partnering with both sides, essentially matchmaking and mediating in between to make sure that everyone gets what they want and what they what they ultimately deserve as well, right? Some people unfortunately are taking advantage of this situation and going to startups and some companies that can't afford to pay three, four hundred grand for maybe a a top level developer which by the way hey you're a top level developer awesome i love you you're not worth 400 grand <laughs> that's doctor money okay okay D- but worth is subjective you might be worth it to the right company and that's fine okay i'm not saying that you're not worth that much money i don't want to get hate mail later but <laughs> <laughs> but um you know that's that's crazy money that's disruptive money that has never been around like that before Mm-hmm. So that means that uh, it's created this big problem, and the uh, the um, who holds the power right now is changing. That is disruptive. Um, that will create a bit of a um, an economic issue, and then all the other things that go with it. So I think he's probably onto something in terms of that. There will be an economic thing that happens, but if we're talking like worldwide, something significant yeah. has to happen. Yeah, that's what I meant. Like, he was the St. George and Dragon Fury is, is a separate thing, but that what, what you're saying about the cycles mm. and all that, and something that's going to shake them up. And that's what's important to me. Like, um, one overarching thing we've talked about in this whole podcast is suffering and, mm. and the value behind it. And, yeah. you know, there's so many like well known names, but. That's what I mean. You have to like go through it as well, yep. and that's that's just in general how you, how you grow. So that's the other thing to take back on what it. It's not a cycle. It's just you're constantly moving up in life. Yeah. Really, that's what. There's that quote which is um, 
uh, we are the sum total of our experiences. The more you experience, and it's like tempering. The yeah. more you temper something, um, the, the more of the process that you put that metal through, mm-hmm. the more valuable it becomes, the stronger it becomes, the better it becomes. Mm-hmm. So it's like us. The more pain, the more suffering we go through. If you see it as a tool, as a resource, you become better because of it. Yeah. We've we've dropped a lot of quotes on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> we've been drop, quite dropping all that. Um, unfortunately, man, that is literally all the time we can have for I think that's... But I gotta admit, man, that was uh, fuck. This is this is something I could definitely have a sequel to, man. So, <laughs> cool, man. I'm I'm keen. Just before we close and wrap this up, man. Um, obviously, this is what I ask every guest as well. But if my audience wants to find you, they want to reach mm. out to you. Where can they find you? Yep. So, uh, Brandon Seccom, S E C O M B, uh, on Facebook, Instagram, uh, pretty much everything else. I've got a socials team, so they'll take care of all that. Um. Uh, my company temper.consulting no.com mm-hmm. just temper.consulting um, we're in the middle of a, a bit of a rebrand and stuff so you'll see a whole bunch of other things temper group temper talent all those things coming out Good. I'll make sure to include those in the link in description mm. of this video of this. Um, yeah that's that's where I'm at awesome well thank you very much Brandon I appreciate cool. your time man dude it was great all the best alright guys that is game <laughs>